Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. Firstly, Happy New Year. We hope you had a fantastic Christmas and New Year break with your family and you got a chance to recharge. If you're heading into pre-season, good luck. And for those in the Northern Hemisphere, you're probably halfway through the season and I really hope things are going well with your players. We're excited to be back in 2020 and bringing you a huge amount of new content as well as some new features on the website soon. So keep an eye out for those. Over the last couple of weeks, we've still been pushing out some great coaching content to keep you occupied over the break, and uh, that includes a brilliant research review from Professor William A. Harper on creativity, which I'd highly recommend, as well as a new Q&A discussion and blog post with PDP coaching advisor James Coots on position-specific coaching. James will be contributing more to the site in the coming months via the podcast and other new content. We've also been fortunate to share a new article by motivational researcher and rugby coach Johnny McMurtry called How Do You Coach? Johnny discusses how we interact with our players and the environments we can create, and this is a great read. Our latest piece of content is our first masterclass discussion of the year. In today's podcast, we will share a portion of that conversation. It was an absolute pleasure to host Mark Lyons, pre-academy coordinator and lead coach at Leicester City Football Club, and I was fortunate enough to meet Mark on our UEFA A license course a few years ago. Now he's a top coach and a top man, as you'll hear from this conversation. Mark shares some insights into his experience coaching at all ages, but today we dive into working with very young players, particularly in that 5 to 11 age group, the importance of creating top environments for them, your coaching approach with that age group, as well as the value of varied experiences with young players. For the full discussion, you can head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com right now. As always, if you're yet to sign up to the PDP website, you can choose from a range of membership options available at playerdevelopmentproject.com to suit you as an individual or through your club and open up access to our massive library of coaching content. If you get time today, leave us a review via your podcast app, and I really hope you enjoy the discussion. Hi, everyone. My name's Dave Wright, and welcome to another Player Development Project Masterclass discussion. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Pre-Academy Coordinator and head coach of the pre-academy phase over there at Leicester City Football Club, Mark Lyons. Mark, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Dave. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Now, how did I go on the job spec? Because I know the title's a bit of a mouthful. Did I get that right? It is a little bit, but yeah, you did really well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mate, it's great to see you. And for those who are tuning in, Mark and I met through the UEFA A license process a few years ago, spent a lot of time together at St. George's Park, lots of good banter with some great people on that course, and really excited to get Mark on a call to talk about his experience. And Mark, to kick things off, you know, you've worked, I guess, in a number of roles and, and been at different clubs, but can you give us a bit of a background in terms of your own coaching journey? Yeah, so um, my coaching journey started uh, before I went to uni. I think I realised I enjoyed cake too much to play football. <laughs> um, decided to get into some coaching with my dad down at the local clubs and it just took off from there. I went to university, worked with a great coach um, who does some scouting in and around. For, he used to work for Crystal Palace, a guy called Tim Coe. Who, um, who really opened my eyes at Birmingham University, did a bit of sports science degree as well and really got into the psychology side of it. Um, and then it just took off from there. Started my own business when I came out of uni, um, doing some coaching in schools. Um, got into Northampton Town and then stayed there for about 10 years, doing a number of different roles. Ended up going full-time. The EPPP massively helped me get full-time. Um, got through the foundation phase, uh, youth development phase, professional development phase, and then... The opportunity at Leicester came up and it's something I've grabbed and uh, I've been loving ever since. 
Yeah, really interesting journey. And, and having worked across the ages, we'll dive into that. But obviously, we'll try and focus a little bit on the younger players uh, for this particular yep. conversation. But during your time at Northampton, outside of taking a worldie of a touch, which went viral on social media for a few <laughs> weeks, I know, I know you worked in a, in a, in a few different roles. I did see that, funnily enough. Somebody <laughs> sent it to me. But, um, but I don't know. We might have to put it on the, on the uh, website as well, just to make sure everyone sees it. But um, you know, during your time there, you worked in a number of roles and, and sort of got into those sort of assistant academy manager roles and different senior roles within the club as well as your coaching positions. But can you give us, a, uh, I guess, a bit of an insight as to how the club worked and some of the variety that you had in terms of experience there? Well, I think anyone who's working in, in sort of the Cat 3 clubs with the lower staff numbers has always got a great opportunity to broaden their coaching knowledge to some extent because... Mm you do get called on to do different things and you do get called on to go and work across different age groups and it actually helps you. Um, so, but it just evolves. I think any coach, they have a preference of who they work with and, I, and I'll probably get into conversations later, but um, any young coach should just not see themselves as this is, I, I work best at this age group. They're just a coach mm. guy there and coach different age group guy and coach different groups in, in particular. Um, and yeah, it just, it just evolved really at Northampton. I kind of, um, it was it was always trying to drive myself to do something a bit better and do something yeah. a bit different. So when I once I'd got into I obviously got into Northampton at the foundation phase, um, it linked in with what I was doing within my school. Um, then it evolved and and I wanted to try some coaching with the 18, so I got to work with uh, Craig Hinton, um, who now works for the FA, who's a fantastic guy, uh, really really supportive of, of coaches and developing. Um, so I got into watch some of his sessions. Um, then. Then it evolved at Craig left for the FA, so it, it kind of helped there. And I got to work with some coaches like Alan Neal and, and Matt Pressridge and Chris Wilder at Northampton, and that was really, really supportive. Rob Page um, mm. obviously came in for, for a short period of time, and I got to work with him and Paddy Kenny, so that, that was really, really good as well. Um, and then it just it just evolved. So then you're doing more managerial stuff because you have to do the admin side, there's no there's no, um, there's not enough staff to do that. So you have to do all the admin side of it. You have to do all the structural side of it. And I got involved in that from a business background. Um, so I just, it just evolves into what your interests are. And I find you, yeah. if you're interested in stuff, you kind of look into it a little bit more. And then at Cat 3 Clubs, you get the opportunities to give it a go. Yeah. yeah. So it just evolved effectively. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think I think that kind of story and other coaches we've spoken to is really testament to getting experience with different environments, different players and so on. And the value of that can be enormous in terms of where it leads. So, you know, you've sort of gone from working at this Cat 3 club, as you say, where it's all hands on deck and everybody's chipping in, to now being in a Category 1 environment where there's obviously a lot more resource as a result of the, the EPPP category status and, and how that sort of looks from an audit perspective. But You've also rewound a little bit in terms of working with older players to now going back to what's really your passion and working with foundation phase and pre-academy age players in that seven to 12 uh, sort of age group. What, what do you find most rewarding about this particular age group? Just, it's just not a job, is it? It's just unbelievable. <laughs> um, it's just, you could be having the worst day in the world and yeah. you could have all sorts of stuff going on in your personal life and you've got this bundle of energy this seven-year-old kid who just wants to go out there and express himself, wants mm. to go and try new things, wants to challenge her, wants to say and do stupid stuff. And I'm about a four-year-old at heart. Um, <laughs> Dave, you've seen my banter on the A-licence. It's about I a five-year-old. Um, <laughs> so it, 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 all my jokes work and they, they find them funny. So <laughs> they don't look at you me. You found your audience. 
<laughs> yeah, I found my audience. So, um, but no, it it just it just brings a bit of passion back, and they're so mm. they're so spot. They're, they're, they've still got that innocence about them. Where mm. I think when you get through to the older players, they've gone through the system, and they're, they're going. And maybe maybe we as coaches create that. I don't know, but they've gone through mm. the system, and they've got that. Do we really have to go out and train in the afternoon? Well, yeah, because yeah, it's fun, and then you're playing football, yeah. and you could be working in a warehouse nine to five. <laughs> It could be different, so yeah. they've, they've still got that innocence about them, and that's what I love because you could be having the worst day in the world, and you just turn up and coach them. Mm. Yeah, your passion certainly comes through when it when it comes to talking about this particular age group. If we dive into the practical side of working with this age group, you know, there's a lot of talk around skill acquisition and ball mastery and the coaching spectrum and who believes what to be true in terms of game space <laughs> versus isolated and all of these kind of redundant debates. But what for you, as as somebody who's got a lot of experience in this age group, are the key focal points when working with players of this age outside of obviously the fun factor which you've touched on well i think to be honest with you i think too early we try and make them i think people that one the one big mistake that people make is they try and turn them into professional footballers and they try and they're trying to go oh we need to develop them to become professional footballers no you don't Mm. they you're not trying to develop them they've, they've got 10 years a minimum of 10 years before they get anywhere near the first team unless they're a special special talent in order for them to carry on, our job is just to make sure they love what they do yeah. because it, we've got to be in there for long-term development. And for them to, to develop long-term, they need to play long-term and not fall out of love with the game at 14, 15. And you know from, a, from your background in academies, they're going to be stuck in a car. They're going to be long trips, long games. Sometimes they'll travel further than the actual time that they play. Um, and they need to love what they do. And I think that... And, Look, I don't class it as fun because at the same time, it's not a soccer school. It's not mm. a play. It's not a keep them, keep them sweet or anything like that. But it is develop a passion for what they do. And yeah. they've got to enjoy the constant practices. They've got to enjoy the random practices. They've got to enjoy the kicking a ball against a wall mm. back and forth. They've got to enjoy being better at football. And that for me, that should be above anything else. They've got to come with a smile on their face. They've got to leave feeling the top of the world. And that doesn't mean you can't tell them that they're doing something wrong, but it's how you pitch it and the language you use. Yeah. And I think if you do that as a, as a forefront, you, you're never onto a, you're never onto a loser with that age group. Mm. I think if you can then marry it up with developing them and making them one V one dominant, I'm a big believer in that because yeah. at the same point, whilst they need to continue to play in 10 years, no one can sit here and say, this is what the game's going to look like in 10 years. And with a hand on the heart. The game's got more physical, and I don't mean physical from a power point of view, I mean physical yeah. from a movement point of view. You've got players being able to play in a number of different positions. You've now got centre-halves that should be able to play centre-mid and right wing mm. and right up front. You look at John Stones as an adapt- adaptation of a centre-half. He wouldn't yeah. have been around sort of 10 years ago. And you're getting a lot of different players. David Silva being able to play in the middle of the park in English football probably wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. And, mm. um, that's probably an exaggeration, but it's that sort of. <laughs> but what I mean is, we don't know what the game's going to look like in ten years. So if you make them one v one dominant, that's the thing that's going to be able to always stay in the game is that mm. me v you battle. Yeah, yeah, and I guess a part of it is also giving them that variety in terms of exposing them to different things. So you know, you've talked a lot about creating adaptable players. In order to do that, what what for you would be some of the practical steps outside of obviously the one v one focus which you've mentioned? So. <laughs> I think the session design is really key, but people talk about 10,000 hours of practice. I think mm. 
I like to coin a phrase, and I think I've been the coaching thief that most of us are and robbed it off of somebody, and I can't remember where it is, so I apologise for somebody who's probably going <laughs> to save me in the video, um, is 10,000 experiences. Mm. Uh, I think right. I think it might have been Ryan May um, might have even given me that. Um, so 10,000 experiences of putting them in different situations so where they're underloaded, overloaded, when they're in games which are balanced or unbalanced, whether they're games that are, whether they're strong games or whether they're games where they, where they should be quite poor in and games where they might struggle and games where they might strive. Mm. Giving them loads of different experiences and supporting them through those experiences to say this, you know, and reflecting on them and getting their views on it will just allow them to be able to call on memories when they're older. And I think if you can match up the technical detail of the coaching with giving them experiences and not, but not coaching within those experiences, not doing too much tactical work, but coaching the technical detail that they'll need, but allowing them to gain those experiences. That, that for me is the, is, is sort of like the big melting pot that we try and, uh, try and encompass in the, in that phase. Yeah, look, I was actually listening to a podcast on this very conversation around the, I guess, the redundancy of the 10,000 hour model and how that research came about through Ericsson and then how it was, uh, you know, put out there through Malcolm Gladwell's work. And it's been misinterpreted a lot. I love the 10,000 experience idea. I think that is absolutely fantastic for coaches tuning in and listening to that and thinking, how can I create an amazing experience for young players who have fallen in love with the game? Just to dive into the technical a little bit more. Areas like ball mastery and, and, and being on the ball are so crucial in that age in terms of spending time on the ball, whether that's ball in a wall away from training or whether that's, you know, interference-based ball mastery or opposed 1v1s uh, and so on at training. How do you sort of go with blending that time on the ball and that um, ability to manipulate and love the ball and be confident on it as well as some of the team principles that go with the game? Um, it's interesting because... Team principles for me aren't team principles, they're life principles. Mm. And I think that's the big thing is what I always speak to no matter what level I coach at, no matter what, um, what group I've got. I always, if the parents always ask me and talk to me and I try and engage with the parents because they're a massive part of player development because they're in and around the boys 24-7. Um, so you need to get them on side. But um, the big part of me is I'm not just developing a player at that age, you're developing a person. And mm. they they're very selfish people inherently. They, they don't want to share toys. They don't want to tidy their room. They don't want to do anything apart from play and have fun. So trying to get them to understand that passing isn't passing, it's, it's sharing. The ball is their mm. toy at that point. They're very selfish. So when we're doing ball mastery, it's easy. Um, but when it's about sharing that ball with other players on the team and it's yeah. about team skills, it's about working hard, which isn't just a team skill, it's a life skill. Um, listening skills, so coach, listening to the coach, following instructions being able to listen to their teammates and being a good teammate, being able to work as part of a team isn't, they're all team skills, don't get me wrong, but they're life skills that are more important to develop that in a, in a life environment, I think, that will then inherit, which will inherently help the team in the long run than actually class it as, I'm going to coach you just football. Mm. Fascinating. It, it kind of helps them understand it a little bit more in the sense of, Right, my football, the thing that they're going to coach me is, is football, but they're working on me as a person outside of that. And they buy yeah. in a little bit more. And, you, and you're building those bonds, aren't you? I mean, you are, you are building yeah. those bonds where they realise that you've got their best interests at heart. So I think that's obviously a crucial part of that, isn't it? 100%. It just, I think you've got to establish a hook with any player, no matter who mm. you coach. And yeah. sometimes the big thing for coaches is establishing a hook is, is taking the arrogance away from, I need to be the one to establish a hook. And it yeah. might be if I'm working with you, Dave, that actually you're you're the best 
you're the best person to get the hook with that player. So yeah. I'll use you. And then yeah. we have a conversation. You work with this, with that player on this because you get you get a tune out of him. He don't he doesn't take to me. And yeah. I think that's also a big thing of being able to sense that. Yeah, yeah, you're certainly preaching the converter when it comes to putting our egos aside in culture in uh, coaching. Sorry, I've I've never understood that tracksuit culture and that, I guess, um, you know, at times arrogance that can come with coaching. I just I just don't get it because you're working with kids. Um, an area just to touch on. We've obviously talked a little bit about some of the practical ideas and the common language, which I think you've referred to in terms of finding the most age appropriate language with this young age group. When it comes to session design, if you've got coaches tuning into this and they're thinking, well. I'm working with under sevens to twelves. What practical advice would you give them in terms of some, some, I guess, non-negotiables or areas of session design that you think are critical for this age group? So, funnily enough, I've just been trying to discuss it with our coaches, um, and there's a great guy who was on my A license with, who you know quite well, Dan Wright, um, <laughs> picking brains for hours. Um, but me, I had very a lot of good conversations around him and some some aspects with with. The, the session designer trying to put it in 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 ways to coaches i would set a, a session up i would set up a session up to bring out tactical elements mm-hmm. because i think it's got to look like the game yeah but the kids to buzz off it it's got to look like the game and this is the majority of it i'm not saying don't do constant practices because i'm not a, i'm also not a fan of that um yeah. but the majority of the session has to look like the game so it's got to have two goals it's got to have direction it's got to have opposition the numbers on the pitch the 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 amount of players going up against each other that can vary so it could be 1v1s it could be 2v2s 3v3s 4v4s i wouldn't ever go up to sort of past 6v6 with under eights downwards um because i think you're you're watering down the touches of the ball um and and then the session itself has to develop a, a tactical focus mm. um however i think all of your information and your and your detail within the coaching session has to be technical based mm. um so looking at touches looking at movements looking at before, during, and after they get on the ball, um, looking at scanning skills, what what they're doing as a player, as an individual, should then be all the coaching focus. But the session itself should give them the experiences. We go back to that word of yeah. of, of making decisions, of um, developing tactics within the game, and allowing them to come up with their own ways of doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the other the other thing to consider here is that you're you're in a position where you've probably got a lot of contacts per week with the players, whether it's three, four, five sessions, um, may not always be the best case. And so those ideas that you're sort of talking about in terms of the game looking like the game, and then maybe manipulating the task within that, I think is critical for that age group. Are there are there other areas that you think, whether it's accounting for more the psych social elements as well as the technical tactical stuff that you think are uh, crucial, I guess, focuses for this age group that coaches should be considering? Yeah, I think I go back to enjoyment as being at the heart of it. But I think the, the social side, the social and psych side is, is key. Um, and I'd work, I try and work quite heavily in that and finding those bonds and, and getting them to establish a bond with the, a bond with whatever club they're playing at and whatever, um, and, and the game itself. So trying to find a bond with the club and a bond with the game. They're the two mm. big things for me. Um, and they do that if they're on the move, because I think for me, movement skills and 1v1 dominance are big, indi- they're indicators to long-term development as well. Mm-hmm. If you can move, you can pick up uh, coordination skills and you can pick up techniques as, they get, as they're getting older. And I think that's a big key, key one for me. So if your session is, is, is hitting those sorts of marks, and in order to do that, the movement skills can't be 
run through a pole, jump over a hurdle, running straight line. It's got to be run. It's got to be random. So there's got to yeah. be tag games and and games where they're trying to evade and escape and and things like that. If they do, if your sessions hit in those sorts of key elements, for me, you, you're onto a winner all the time. Yeah. And from my own personal life, it's quite nice because my nephew, who's nine, is is starting to play football, and. My dad's actually, my, my, his granddad's actually his coach, so he keeps picking my brains and I keep going down there and watching him. <laughs> I just keep saying to him, there's nothing wrong. If, if you don't know what you're doing or you're, you're a parent just picking up for the helping your kids out, I think it's brilliant. Mm. There's nothing wrong with just playing games and yeah. just putting different rules for the game. So, for example, um, I saw Pete Sturgis do one the other time where in a certain zone you can't play backwards. Brilliant. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I've seen it. Fantastic yeah. session. Yeah. What a session. But the kids will love it and it's nothing... You're not trying to overcoach. You're not trying to overdo it. The, the session itself will help develop the kids, and they're buzzing off it. The, their movement skills, there's decisions, there's techniques. Yeah. Everything is in it, and you don't have to overcomplicate it at times. And I yeah. think that's what sometimes we see. We can't kind of feel like we have to because a coaching session is they turn up, they'll warm up, they'll do a session, then they'll play a game at the end. Well, yeah. Then turn up and play a game, and then do a little bit, and then play a game at the end. There's nothing wrong with mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, really sound advice. And I think the idea of um, just maximizing the ball rolling time and these kind of things, again, when you're in that parent volunteer or grassroots setting is really important. Now, a question again, just around the age group particularly, are you guys working with a curriculum or a structured framework in terms of topics or is it very much just working to adapt to the player's needs or are you sort of ramping up maybe more 1v1s, ball mastery elements or games-based stuff throughout the week? How, how does a sort of week look for you guys in that really? age group? That is a really, really good question. Um, <laughs> we don't work to a topic. And I, I suppose because in the sevens and eights in academies, you have to sort of blend coaching with recruitment. So mm -hmm. when, the, when you're bringing new players in all the time, if you're working to a curriculum and week four says you're doing passing and week one, two and three, you're doing dribbling and you bring a, you bring a player in on week four, um, you've missed out all the elements that you want to see in a player. Yeah. So it's very hard to work to a curriculum in the sevens and eights. So we have principles. Principles of we want to see movement skills. We want to see one v one. There has to be lots of one v one stuff in there, um, and we have to develop technique. And they're the main sort of key principles of our coaching program, so to speak. But then we sit down every sort of six weeks, ten weeks, and sort of go right. What do the players need? Yeah. So this group, so this year's under eight group that we've got will be will not be the same as last as next year's under eight group will not be the same as the year after that's under age under eight. So we need to work with what they need at the time. Mm. And I think it's quite hard to go. The coaching curriculum looks like this because it, it has to meet the needs of the players. And it's mm. great with all the ILPs that Academy has and the individual learning plans that Academy have now that you're always going to tick off those. But for me, if you meet every, we'd sit down with coaches and go, right, let's plan the next block. Let's plan the next block because it will be the needs of what the players need. And it might be the con continuous thing but it has to go off the needs of the players for me. Yeah, yeah, look, I, th I think it's a great idea. I know I've heard people say, you know, use the player as the syllabus, for example, and we've talked a lot at PDP about the individual approach. I remember talking to Dan Machichi years ago where he, he sat there and said, look, these days I don't think I could write an under-12 curriculum because he'd, he'd moved away from that. And I guess in my own coaching as well, I can relate to that because as adults, the traditional educational paradigm is that we come in, we do this at this time, we deliver that, and we know that it's non-linear. We know that there is a, a messy process, particularly, again, with young players learning the game. And structure is perhaps always best suited to adults as opposed to what's best for the players, right? 
Hundred percent. But I also I do also think there has to be some sort of structure. So there has to be yeah. some principles of what the coaches uh, deliver because otherwise you're going to get each age group. You're going to get the under nines doing one v one maybe, but the under tens doing loads of tactical stuff, and then the under elevens doing some different stuff. And I think mm. there has to be a flow. So I think there has to be if you have a goal for your foundation phase and you work to that goal. So for example, um, when I was at Northampton, we we always spoke about. Um, Develop, and this was Lee Garlick, who's, who's over at West Brom now. Uh, fantastic guy, really knowledgeable. Uh, hits the gym too much, but we'll, we'll question <laughs> um, he, we, we came up with, the, with an idea of um, develop the player, develop a player in any team, and then develop a player in, in your team sure. or in our team at Northampton. And it was basically foundation phase was just develop the player. So they had to make them technically excellent by the time they were at the end of the foundation phase. So all the coaches could then work individually with their group but to that goal sure and I think as long as you've got that and everyone working in the same direction you're on to a winner so yeah. that overarching principles is key as well because otherwise people will go off in different tangents and that becomes difficult and also hard for the players thanks for joining us on the player development project podcast you can follow us on twitter and instagram at playerdp or find us on facebook Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.